Hi, it's Megan. In this episode, we just wanted to preface that we will be covering topics such as spiritual trauma and sexual violence. If that seems inadvisable or like it will be a bad time for you emotionally or mentally to listen to that, go ahead and skip this one and we'll see you on the other ones. Thanks. Bye. I'm engaged, but I just don't know who I'm engaged to yet. (laughs) Kate, have you heard of purity balls? Welcome to the showbiz, baby. Today, we're talking about purity culture, the phenomenon of the mid-90s that spawned a generation of incredibly horny millennials. (laughs) Kate. Yes. What do you know about how purity culture started? Oh, I don't know about how it started. Okay. What do you know about purity culture? (laughs) (laughs) Just that it was uh, no sex until marriage. Thank you, church. Um, but also, you. which led to more twisted views and teachings that make women especially feel like their bodies are bad and something to be ashamed of, along with sex should only be for their husband and mainly for the purpose of making babies. Oh, my God. Neither of us have made any of those <laughs> recently or ever. <laughs> so... Essentially, yes. But we're, let's just zoom out for a second. Purity culture was a movement that started with in North American evangelicalism in the 90s. That's when you and I were coming of age. <laughs> so there are a ton of verses in the Bible on sexual purity, but these verses were sort of co-opted by the powers that be. So purity culture is based on the expectation for women and men, but the emphasis and responsibility is more on the women to stay, quote-unquote, pure for marriage, i.e. not have sex before marriage. So gender expectations are kind of encapsulated within purity culture. They're based on a very strict stereotype-based binary. So, for example, men are expected to be strong, masculine leaders. They have leather-bound books, maybe. They go hunting, etc., And then women are expected to be sweet, supportive, bear children, not really enjoy sex, but kind of tolerate it because that's their duty as Christian wives. It also teaches that women are largely responsible for the sexual thoughts, feelings, etc. of men. So (laughs) we're not mad about it. We're not bitter. It's fine. So there's a lot of emphasis placed on what we as women, like how we dress, how we talk, etc., It's taught that men are visual, unemotional, sexual creatures who have an urge to dominate and to provide and protect. And women are emotional, non-sexual beings who have an urge to bear children and to be protected by men. Protect me. Oh, protect me, please. (laughs) Help me. I'm poor. (laughs) So this whole movement was kind of predicated, like undergirded by two things. So number one, the abstinence pledge. And number two... The book, How I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. So, number one, the abstinence pledge. In the 90s, there was sort of this culture of fear within Christian circles about young people having sex outside of marriage. There are tons of books on the subject about why this happened and how it happened, but I would recommend checking out Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Cobes Dumez or Pure by Linda K. Klein. Those are both very good reads. Um, but the bottom line was that there was this very real, very visceral anxiety around gender roles and around sex within Christian circles. So in response to this, in 1993, the Southern Baptists, 
bless their hearts, created an international Christian group called True Love Waits. TLW was a group that promoted sexual abstinence outside of marriage for young people, but primarily for teenage girls. So this group had a pledge called the True Love Waits Pledge, which stated, believing that true love waits, I make a commitment to God, myself, my family, my friends, my future mate, and my future children to be sexually abstinent from this day until the day I enter a biblical marriage relationship. I just barfed on myself. (laughs) (laughs) Additionally, they also promoted abstaining from sexual thoughts, sexually touching, or even being aroused sexually in any way. So they also had these things called purity rings, which you could buy and wear. And these purity rings were seen as an, an engagement to your future husband who you hadn't met yet and to God. (laughs) So it's like, I'm engaged, but I just don't know who I'm engaged to yet. So during this time, purity balls also started popping up. Kate, have you heard of purity balls? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh God, no. If you had to guess. I... <laughs> no one. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> okay. So purity balls were more popular in America than they were in Canada, but it's essentially a formal dance event attended by fathers and their teenage daughters in order to promote virginity until marriage. So <laughs> I think Kay's feeling very hashtag triggered right now. I actually feel sick. Like <laughs> I actually feel it's sick. It's so barfy. It's disgusting. So the young ladies at these events would only dance with their fathers and they make vows to each other, the fathers and the daughters. The teenage daughters vow that they're not going to have any sex until they're married. And the fathers also promise that they'll protect their daughter's purity, i.e. virginity, at any cost. Which is all kind... (laughs) Your face. I'm sorry. Your face. (laughs) It's all kinds of creepy and weird and Kate needs a drink. (laughs) Petunia, fetch me a large brandy. Okay, so... I need therapy just on that. (laughs) By 2004, 2.5 million American youth took the True Love Waits pledge. I don't know what the stats are for Canada, but it's probably equally as abhorrent. Several Christian music groups took the pledge. Iterations of it popped all over Canada as well. But it started and was gaining steam in the 90s when Kate and I were growing up. Then on January 1st, 1997, the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye comes out. So, Kate, are you familiar with this book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua no. Harris? Oh, Tell my God. You're so it. lucky. How did you How did you miss? Can I miss this? Can I, <laughs> I not <reading>. know about <laughs> <laughs> I think my parents gave up on me reading. So. Oh, okay. All right. So, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, written by Joshua Harris. So, this whole book was kind of a continuation of this idea of purity culture in that the author expresses that, quote, unquote, mainstream dating isn't good enough if Christians were wanting to hold to this idea of sexual purity. And so he proposes this concept of quote unquote courting, saying that this is what we should all be doing instead of mainstream dating. So courting is a system whereby it's mostly group dates. The parents are super involved. (laughs) So the people dating aren't allowed to be alone or think sexual thoughts about each other until marriage, and then ostensibly both parties would be expected to become sex experts overnight. (laughs) I'm really good at sex now. (laughs) (laughs) 
happened the minute I took my wedding vows. So this book was super popular and it was everywhere and I don't know. I wish I could have not known about it as well. But if you were a Christian in the 90s and you liked reading, you <laughs> everyone knows about this book, basically. Various critics have cited this book as an example of, quote unquote, benevolent sexism and women as property, as well as promoting, quote unquote, rape supportive messaging and hierarchical father-daughter relationships, overall reducing the agency of adolescent girls. So the book kind of paints ideal young Christian women as sexually passive, emotional, and patient. <laughs> Woo! What happened was a lot of people, a lot of people, took this book to heart and used it as like a blueprint for Christian sexuality. And it wreaked a lot of harm and a lot of trauma. In 2016, Joshua Harris publicly retracted the entire book, apologized for it, and said that the book was fear-based, basically that he had written it out of fear. Then in July 2019, he announced he was separating from his wife. And later that month, he announced that he was no longer a Christian. So that's kind of a quick and dirty <laughs> history of purity culture. So, so you did read this book? Oh, I read parts of it. Yeah, okay. I can't. I think I read the whole thing and I was like, do you remember how old you were? I think I was 16 or so. And I was like, OK, okay. <laughs> like uh, that's one option of things we could do. <laughs> talk about our experiences of purity culture are you ready for this okay <clears throat> kate yes what was your experience of purity culture in the church all righty so it was often taught that sex was a gift from god and one of the best gifts and also, at the same time, don't you dare touch each other <laughs> until you're married. <laughs> Bad things will happen. And then also stay with that man until the world ends and only have sex with him. And even if you don't want to, that's the catch. And even though sex is this great thing that it's constantly talked about as like God's best thing for humans. Also, it's mainly just to reproduce. So don't enjoy it too much <laughs> because the real gift is a baby. <laughs> As a girl slash woman, uh, being told over and over to like cover up, dress modestly, basically don't invoke temptation for the men. <laughs> think about the men. But e you, you never think about the men. You're so selfish. I know. But equally within that, it's like be quiet. Don't take up too much space. Like just that's kind of just how it's talked about. Yeah. So it really seemed to be that it was our girl's place like this was taught young to ensure that everyone else was comfortable and not getting aroused which is really <laughs> fucked up you know what it would have been hilarious though if at like 15 minute intervals like one of us had stood up and been like just checking to make sure no one's aroused <laughs> is everybody good can i get a show of hands okay <laughs> back to your business yeah and like the idea that how i dress is responsible for how men see me and treat me was always a thing taught and said to me but it just, yeah, severely messed up. I was always told that you only date to marry and then sex comes after marriage. And that just seems extremely fucking stressful. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I know, oh, I remember this very well. Like boys and girls would be split into their different Bible classes based on like age or whatnot. And then 
girls were often taught about obeying men. Boys were often taught about being the head of the household. Mm -hmm. As I got older, we talked about relationships and marriage more. And it was said over and over that it was the woman's job to please the man. And that that was honoring to God. Which, to me, just perpetuates rape culture. Yeah. As it's basically just telling women that their needs are not as important, that it's their job. It's their responsibility for regulating the man's emotions, but also that her body is to be used whenever the head of the household sees fit. I had been told, whether by my parents or just somebody at the church, that I should or shouldn't wear something sometimes. And I never wore things actually inappropriate, whatever <laughs> inappropriate means. Like, yeah. But the discussion around my body and what I can and can't show was always something that really just irked me. Yeah. It, I didn't understand how that was somebody else's business. Yeah, no. Okay, so for me, did you ever get the uh, your body is like a blank object lesson? Other than temple, I don't think so. Okay, so this could take any form, but the main forms it took was we would get this object lesson where... Say, for example, someone would bring in a present that was wrapped up, mm-hmm. like a Christmas present. And then they call for a volunteer, and then the volunteer would unwrap the present. And then say, okay, now rewrap the present. And then they'd say, how does it look now it's been rewrapped? And it's like, oh, well, it doesn't look as good, and it's not as nice. And oh, fuck. And it's like... <laughs> That's so terrible. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. And then it's like, no matter how carefully you rewrap the gift, it'll never be the same. It will never be the same. So the worst one that I ever heard about of these object lessons was a chocolate bar. And they got someone to like eat a bite of a chocolate bar and then spit it out on the table. And they were like, that's what you're doing if you have (laughs) sex so awful it's just like that's so gross like who would okay well and all of those things all they're doing is just really emphasizing that as women we are just objects we're a commodity yeah like we are only there this this season this season's hottest commodity (laughs) a brand new bombshell enters the villa (laughs) (laughs) so other things have I ever told you about the hallelujah test? No. <laughs> You're learning so much today. I am learning so okay, much. Okay, so. <laughs> and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> At TMI, Teen Missions International, this is the hallelujah test. You raise your arms above your head, and if your midriff shows, you failed the hallelujah uh, test. <laughs> I'm wearing a one piece, so I'm golden. You would, you would I mean, I remember when you'd have to stand up and put your arms by your side, and if your skirt wasn't longer than where your fingertips, then you're a slut. You're a slut! (laughs) So, there was that. Then there was, we were taught to always go for the side hug. Oh, yes. if you go for the full frontal, they can feel your breasts. Yes, how dare they? (laughs) I was like, I only wish they would. (laughs) There was a lot of the talk of, like, a Bible width apart. When you're Make, sitting, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was like, I was like, well, oh, okay. I'm not sure he wants to be here right now. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Don't be alone with boys your age. Mm. Yes. If you dress in a certain way, that boy will think about you naked, and that's bad for him because now he's committing a sin. So we're not saying you have to, but don't you want to help him out by just dressing like a sexless wombat for the rest of your life? <laughs> 
The funny thing with that is I have so many people, so many girls that I've talked to at like Bible college or just in high school that are wearing sweats and a hoodie and still get in trouble for arousing a gentleman. <laughs> and basically, if the if you weren't willing to dress like a sexless wombat for the rest of your life, you weren't a team player. And God frowns on that. Yes. So we were also taught that men want sex and girls want emotional connection. So girls give sex to get what they want, emotional connection, and guys will fake emotional connection in order to get sex. So that kind of checks out. <laughs> <laughs> why can't it be? Why can't we have both? Why can't? Why can't we have both? Basically, a woman with a high sex drive was unheard of. Or, like, I never heard of that in my life. No. And viewed as, like, weird, or she probably didn't get enough attention from her dad or something. So basically, Which, that even, that connection in itself freaks me out. Yeah, right. Like, whenever we're talking about the purity of a girl, it's often somehow linked to the relationship with the father. And yeah. that is freaky as fuck. I know. I'm like, is this... Why is this about me and my dad now? <laughs> yeah. Just me and my dad. A little critter critters. <laughs> Yay, dad. <laughs> in all church conversations that I was a part of, like, about sex, when we were discussing the reasons why you'd want to hold out for sex until marriage, it was like, so that the sex will be good. Yeah, it will somehow yeah. be better. It will be amazing. It'll be great sex. But then when we talked about what good sex entailed, it often focused on the man's pleasure. I never heard of women's pleasure as a focus. No one ever said, this is going to feel so good for you, a woman. <laughs> nobody mentioned the clitoris. Nobody mentioned vibrators. It was more just like, you're going to enjoy it because your husband will be enjoying himself. And you'll just be so obsessed with your husband that that will be all that you'll need. Yeah. I think if someone had said the words, she comes first during any of those discussions, I would have keeled over in shock. I'd have been like, what's comes? <laughs> oh, I almost Stop. passed out. I'm crying. It was seen as like, if we educate these young people too much about pleasure, then talking about it will excite them. And then they'll all give in to their basic urges and we'll all be pregnant by lunchtime tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. So those were some of my experiences, but I had childhood sexual trauma as well. So I actually didn't want sex for like a really long time until about like four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so the thought of dating someone or even expressing interest in me filled me with like nausea and revulsion and like, I want to get away. So I was just like, no, don't look at, don't. Don't look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and the sexual purity thing was just there for me to hide behind. It was kind of convenient in a way. So I never got a bunch of awkward questions about like, why aren't you dating someone or sleeping some with someone? I'd be like, I'm saving myself for yeah. better. <laughs> but I was really just like, I don't want it. So I kind of put out the vibe that I was like a true believer in that sense. And I never made the distinction to people or even tacitly like acknowledged it to myself. So... When I was like 16 or whatever, I wasn't out doing that. I was more just like hanging out with Steph, being <laughs> mentally unwell and listening to Weezer or Rage Against the Machine. I was more than happy to let people make assumptions about me. Oh, she's such a good Christian. It was yeah. like I was cosplaying 
as a sexually pure teenager. Yeah. So I think in that way, I was protected from the psychological impact of the struggle of wanting to be sexually active and then trying to control my impulses or see them as bad or outside of God's design or whatever. I wasn't having that struggle. <laughs> I was just pretending that I was. So whatever psychological trauma my friends may have been receiving from purity culture, it was like secondhand smoke to me, like still damaging, still gives you cancer. But I was mostly trying to not let people notice that I was like super different from mm -hmm. everyone else. So I did feel like there was something wrong with me, but I didn't have the tools to fix it. So I'm just going to hide it. I was just trying to like not have nightmares at night, basically. Yeah. So regardless, I still absorbed the rhetoric about women's bodies causing men to sin. I still absorbed the rhetoric around same-sex attraction being evil. I still absorbed the culture. I still believed some of the dialogue around sex can never be truly fulfilling or safe or enjoyable unless it's with your husband after you've gotten married. But yeah. ultimately, I was kind of an outsider. But when I got into my 30s, that changed and I started dating. But I had a group of girlfriends that... We're constantly talking about this kind of stuff. And we had something called Vagina Club. <laughs> but then purity culture didn't affect me as much because I had support from girls who have been through the same thing. And there was a, a lot of distance there because like we're all in our 30s now, you know. I was receiving all those messages when I was like 13 to 20 years old. And then I was just kind of like, well, this seems silly. So I just stopped believing it. But despite that, it can still be buried in your subconscious and I still feel the echoes of it. So it's a constant process to reject the narrative that all a girl is good for is her virginity. Okay. What led you to change your mind about sex as only something that can be experienced safely and fully by a heterosexual couple within the confines of marriage? <laughs> I think for me, it's honestly, it was it was something that never felt right. Yeah. Like, even throughout all the discussion and what my parents said, what the church said, yada, 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 it just, it just never sat fully. Yeah. And though I think sex is and can be great, it seemed weird to me that it was such a big fucking deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, the way it was talked about was like, I don't know, an apocalyptic event. <laughs> <laughs> the church often talked about it like it was some holy, untouchable thing. Like... To me, it's intimacy. It's fun. It's pleasurable. Why is that so crazy? Yeah. I don't think it needed to have this aha moment. Just the older I got, the more normal it became. Yeah. And I mean, why wouldn't you want to experience intimacy with different people, different walks of life, different sexualities? Like all of these mm -hmm. things just seem normal in my head. I'm now separated, soon to be divorced, and my views of having sex with one person for life really changed because of all that. <laughs> I think having sex with others doesn't seem like this big scary thing anymore, or like you're doing something wrong. That was the biggest thing, which came from the church, was the shame aspect mm -hmm. linked with sex. And so sex was very much taught to me like it was a wrong thing, except if you're in marriage. But yeah, sex makes people feel very uncomfortable. And yet in my mind, it was the most normal thing ever. We all have bodies. We all crave intimacy. Bing, bang, bong. <laughs> Tickety-boo. <laughs> <laughs> so for myself, there's like three different things. So one thing, a bunch of people I knew didn't wait till marriage to have sex and they were like, fine. Like, yeah. Nothing happened to them. Their lives didn't fall apart. Like they were okay. They still were like 
fully valued as human beings and they seemed to enjoy having sex. Yeah. It wasn't like traumatizing for them to have sex outside marriage. So I was like, uh, that doesn't add up. And then second thing, it just seemed wiser to give this whole thing a trial run. <laughs> like, can I get the trial subscription? <laughs> Seven day trial. <laughs> I go for a 30 day trial. <laughs> Basically, both Kate and I know more than one couple who have gotten married and found out that they didn't like having sex with each other. And then it's like, what do you do? Yeah. We're married now. What do we do? (laughs) Especially if you're from the church, because that was like something that you have been told your whole life is going to be this thing and be better than anything else. It's God's greatest gift to humankind. Yeah. And then if it isn't. Yeah. Then it's like what? It's like you just got to believe harder. And it's like, well, no, some people just don't like having sex with each other. Yeah. Some people just aren't like that together mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's okay it's, it's very <laughs> you don't okay. have to like everyone and you don't have to like having sex with everyone <laughs> it's like the same thing and even if you get along really well with someone and still feel a romantic connection with them you can still not enjoy having sex with them yeah and that was something that we were never taught ever 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 ever, ever. And then the third thing for me was it seemed like a lot of the teachings from Christianity were pro disembodiment. So what I mean by that is here at church, we're taught about the spiritual, not the physical. Physical experiences were taught as worldly, lustful, not from God. For example, the number of times I'd heard the phrase a sinful amount of chocolate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like implying that enjoying physical food so much is sinful. But it seemed to me that God was just as much about having a physical body and having experiences in that physical body. Like the whole point of the resurrection is that God incarnated, became flesh. He moved towards embodiment his whole life. Whereas this whole aversion to physical pleasure or enjoyment or experience or whatever seemed to me like the entirety of Christianity was trying to move away from incarnation at the same time that God was moving towards it. And so I started thinking, you know, maybe whatever's happening right now isn't what God actually wants for us. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't believe that he wants us to, like, avoid ourselves or be afraid of ourselves. And he doesn't want us to disconnect from ourselves. God's whole thing is he's trying to reconnect the entirety of the human race back to himself and back to others. So the divine image of God is in every person. And concretely, this means every person's physical body as well as their soul. So I think a lot of present day evangelicals would have us place more importance on the soul than on the body. But the truth is they're both of equal importance. And I think they always have been. But over decades, we kind of lost that idea. Now we're circling back around to it because the person and the body are not two different things. They're one thing. So once I started to wrap my mind around that, I was like, okay, 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 okay. So if I don't ever get married, that it's not sex before marriage. No, I'm just kidding. If I don't ever get married and it's very likely at this point that I will not. (laughs) And if I was created a sexual being and if being connected to my body is good. And if I am to have my own agency, then sex only within heterosexual marriage isn't going to work for me. It works for some people, just not for me. I wasn't created to fit in that box. 
And there's so many people that don't fit into that box. And it just seems highly unlikely that God would create a box that so many people don't fit into and then visit judgment or be filled with divine sorrow or whatever when we don't fit into it. Hey, here's the box I didn't create for you, <laughs> but fuck you for not tearing yourself apart to try to fit into it. I just don't think that God is like that. So then the whole project was like, okay, this thing I haven't wanted and that's been off limits for my whole life is now back on the table. So how do I interact with it? What's the next right thing? How do I heal? What brings life and flourishing and connection to me and to the people around me? And it's like, oh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still figuring the answers out, but I didn't start kind of answering those questions till I was about like 33 years old. So once you started to distance yourself from the church's stance on sexuality, what other realizations did you come to about your own sexuality? Sexuality. <laughs> I realized that I don't see people and sexuality like those around me, or at least those around me at the time. I always just thought people were beautiful and I was attracted to humans. I wasn't just attracted to men or just women. I didn't care how someone identified. I didn't care what parts they were born with. They were just beautiful to me. So now I say, <laughs> so now I classify myself as pansexual and it encompasses all of that for me. But I also just see sex so much differently. It always had so many rules around it, which made it something to fear, at least for me. I had so much fear <laughs> based around sex. Yeah. So I now am much more freer to connect and just enjoy intimacy. But big thing is it also changed my views on the sex industry. I Same. used to frown upon it so much or judge those who were in it. How could they sell their souls to the devil? How could you sell your body to strangers on the internet? And yet here we are. <laughs> but I definitely, I see the body as art. And also pleasure isn't something that needs to be ashamed of. Amen. And I think the church and Christian view on sex is filled with shame and... I see ethical sex work as real work. It's connection, it's marketing, it's sales, it's art. And really, if it makes you feel uncomfortable, then I think that's a good opportunity to look inward at yourself and see why, rather than shaming others who are working hard to provide. Often, I think people are so uncomfortable with sex work because they themselves are so uncomfortable with sex and their own bodies. Sex isn't a be-all, end-all. Like, it's great, but, like, have you ever had a perfectly ripe mango? That shit's amazing. That shit's amazing. Let's talk about me now. Can we <laughs> get back to me? <laughs> I realized that, and I don't know if this is because I got around to it so late, so, but I have, <laughs> I have a high sex drive. <laughs> Still working on not feeling embarrassed about that, lol. And then this other thing was, like, and I kind of knew this my whole life, but I was like, oh, yeah, girls are like soft and they smell amazing. <laughs> What's not to love? What's not to like here? So it was a really a natural thing and it didn't come as a big shock to anyone who knew me. I always thought girls were like good looking and smelled nice. I was like, everyone thinks that girls are good looking and that yeah. they smell nice. Like, that's not anything. 
that doesn't mean I'm gay necessarily. And all my family and everyone thought I was. My mom used to ask me about it periodically. She'd be like, Megan, do you like girls? And I'd be like, no! She'd be like, but you never talk with me about boys. And I'd be like, because I don't want to talk to you about boys. (laughs) Martin, my older brother, would often refer to me as a switch hitter. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. And then mom would be like, don't joke about that. But then I was like, oh, like... I would never kiss a girl or anything like that unless I was in Europe <laughs> and on drugs and at a rave or something. Yeah, you know, the norm. Yeah, but after a while, I was like, oh, I think I like girls enough that I would date them sober in Canada. But <laughs> I never made a big announcement. I never had a coming out because my reasoning was like, I have such bisexual energy that if people haven't grasped that I liked ladies as well as dudes, well, that's on them. <laughs> if they haven't figured out, figured it out, that's really none of my business, you know? What do you think about sex now? What? Million dollar question! I think it's great. <laughs> I think it's not nice. It's good. No, it doesn't scare me like it used to. Just because of the whole shame aspect wrapped around it, the thought of being with or being intimate with anyone outside of being married was terrifying. So I definitely I feel freer as a human. It has been immensely healing for me. I feel I felt like most of my life, even like thinking about sex or watching porn or something that I was going to hell. Like, and I don't say that as a joke. Like, I literally thought I was going to hell. Oh. There's just so much hate surrounding it that it wasn't possible to be a thing of enjoyment for me for a very long time. But stepping out of that world and that way of thinking, it had helped me understand intimacy, communication, and just even my own body and my views of body very differently. I have a much more freer view of it that... It does not need to be with one person for the rest of your life that you're allowed to connect and you're allowed to have fun. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. There was no fun. Yeah. You're allowed to have fun is feels like such like a dangerous thing to say. Yeah. So for me, kind of how things happened was for a long time, I genuinely believed that sex was something that I was just not going to get to experience ever because of the amount of trauma I have. And because the whole thing seemed like it would make me too vulnerable and I'm like kind of allergic to vulnerability (laughs) as I record a podcast. But I was kind of like, wait, you mean someone else would be there like in in the room with me? And I was like, oh, miss me with that. That seems like way too much drama. (laughs) There's a line in a book I really love, which goes, people can be healed by telling each other stories. And so the way that I found my way back to my body was through, you guessed it, smutty trash novels. (laughs) Am I right, ladies? But those novels did more for me than two decades of therapy, so don't knock it. (laughs) (laughs) They are completely unrealistic, like, of course. But I was like, oh, the female protagonist of this book is telling me a story about sex. She's telling me that it feels amazing and that she feels deeply connected to her lover. Her lover so far has not tried to hurt her or (laughs) use her and has been patient and understanding. And so where I once associated pain and fear with sex, I started to associate different emotions with it. 
And that was everything that changed my whole life. And so things started to filter back in to my body, which was kind of like a numb zone or a dead zone for a lot of my life. I had described it previously as like a, like a haunted house. Like my body was the scene of a crime and I didn't want to be there (laughs) and neither did anyone else. Um, So I kind of thought of myself as separate from my body. And that was just how I moved through life until maybe six or seven years ago. But because I got around to the whole thing so late in life, it was a very gradual process from um, self-exploration to sex with other people. So as a result, I now really know what I like. And I have only been with people who know what they're doing and who care about me and my pleasure just as much, if not more than their own. Mm. Which I'm like, oh, thank God, I've never had any bad sex. But because of that and because of my past, every time I do experience it, it feels like I am hooked up intravenously to the grace of like God or the universe or something. It feels like mind-alteringly, mind-alteringly, profound and deeply healing so now i think that if sex can be that and i think it should be that then i view it as something vital and i firmly believe that everyone regardless of their marital status should get to experience mind-blowing sex at least once in their lifetime preferably more times than that um (laughs) i think it's entirely possible to have sex if both parties are capable of being emotionally responsible for themselves and capable of showing emotional care for the other. If you connect with some someone and you want to have sex with them, that's awesome. I don't believe that sex is just physical and doesn't involve emotions. I think good sex always means something. It's like a combination of connection, emotions, physical needs, etc. Is sex the spiritual intertwining of our souls? Sometimes it can be. But it could also be not as high stakes as that. And I think that's good, too. Yeah, with that, because it was very much taught that, right? Yeah. Church. Your souls will intertwine with Jesus's. I have literally had some, like, deeply intimate times, like, singing songs with people. Yeah. Where it felt like we connected and it was so personal and everything. Sexual energy, baby. (laughs) And, yeah, and, like... But that was okay. Yeah. But if we touched bodies, then it's not okay. So it just, it's such a confusing thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. So for me personally, I need to feel like I connect with the other person on some level that isn't just physical attraction. Have you ever been like on a date with someone who is really attractive, but their personality was a zero out of (laughs) 10? It's like such a drag. It's such a drag. Like, I need to know that the other person enjoys my company at least and cares about my pleasure at least. Like, it's not a race to the finish line here. Like, that's not what we're doing. No. I also will not have sex with anyone where it's clear that they've sort of compartmentalized their emotions from their physicality. Because I've done the compartmentalization thing and I'm not into that anymore. I'm not doing that. Like, we're all adults and we can all just be fully integrated now, please. So now I don't think that sex needs to equal a lifetime commitment. And I also don't think it means nothing or that it's just physical. I think it means something. And I think that it's not bad or unhealthy to connect with more than one person in that way. 
I think that men have gotten the majority of orgasms over the years, and now it's our bloody turn. But, you know, hopefully we can both have orgasms together. We're alone. And that's showbiz, baby. (laughs) So thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. If you have questions or want to get in touch with us, email us at that showbizbabypodcast at gmail.com or contact us through Instagram at showbizpod. And remember, if you've ever been detained by airport security while they inspect each and every one of your vibrators and a crowd looks on in shock and grudging respect, that showbiz baby.